Welcome to the IC Companies and Markets show. It's Thursday, the 15th of September. I'm IC Deputy Editor Dan Jones. Joining me today are Ideas Editor Alex Newman. Hi, Dan. Uh, Deputy Companies Editor Julian Hoffman. Hi, Julian. Hi, everyone. A specialist writer Jennifer Johnson. Hi, everyone. And our economics writer Hermione Taylor. Hello, Hermione. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, we've got three main topics this week. We will be talking about ITM Power and its latest woes in our results of the week section. Then we're going to be looking at trustonomics and UK finances. And finally, we're dropping in on the UK healthcare sector to look at the latest goings on at Advanced Medical Solutions and ABCAM. But first, a roundup of the week's news. Uh, let's start on energy. After concerns the government's energy support scheme for businesses faced delays, ministers have promised to backdate that support if necessary in a bid to shore up confidence for companies that face a cliff edge with their bills in the next few weeks. In Europe, the European Commission has outlined nascent plans to raise €140 billion Euros from windfall taxes on a variety of different energy companies, uh, as well as through introducing a mandatory threshold for prices charged by non-oil and gas producers. That comes as a note from Goldman Sachs actually says that Europe has effectively solved the problem of how to uh, live without Russian gas and strikes a relatively upbeat tone about the prospects for the future. You can find out more details on both those points in the magazine this week. In the US, uh, we've had inflation figures this week. Uh, price growth dipped in August, the headline rate falling from 85 to 8.3%. But that was still hotter than expected and led to a minor equity sell-off as investors again factored in a tougher approach from the Federal Reserve. And as a result, UK inflation also dipped from 10.9% to 9.9% thanks to petrol prices falling. But core inflation continues to rise and food and services inflation in particular is still on the up. Uh, in UK retail news, Ocado has said it expects grocery sales for the 12 months to November to drop year on year for the first time. But ASOS has reaffirmed full year expectations and Dunelm has reported record full year results, albeit with the inevitable uncertain outlook. Uh, we cover those uh, and many more results in this week's magazine as well. Uh, a bit of fund news, fund and trusts. The Fundsmith Emerging Equities Trust is set to be liquidated after the asset manager served notice on its contract. Fundsmith founder Terry Smith acknowledged that performance had been below expectations and suggested the asset manager no longer felt it had a particular edge in emerging markets amid a tough set of macro conditions there. And the FCA has said it plans to find Link Fund Solutions, the administrator of the collapsed Woodford Equity Income Fund, up to £300 million when its investigation into the suspension and failure of that fund finally concludes. There is, however, still no specific date for that one yet. It's been a very long-running investigation. Uh, finally, in this roundup, a couple of high-profile management changes. Uh, Rupert Soames is retiring as chief executive of Serco after eight years in charge. And this morning, Shell boss Ben Van Buren has said he will do likewise after a decade uh, in charge there. So that brings us on to uh, our result of the week, actually, because we are, as discussed, looking at ITM Power where there is also going to be a change of management. But uh, more significantly for investors, there's also been delays to revenue recognition on some of its key projects. Julian, you covered the results. I mean, obviously, this has been a bit of a, a big hope, ITM Power, you know, in terms of 
being at the forefront of the green hydrogen revolution, if such a thing materializes, but but a bit of a disappointing set of results, really, in terms of what was announced. Yeah, I mean, it was this. This was a total shuttle crash, really. To be honest, and um, the company basically what it did was overpromise what it could do in terms of getting its projects up and running. So they had a couple of um, big builds in the UK where they were going to build these hydrogen fuel cell power plants, effectively. One at a place called Bessemer, and they were looking at another place called Aviation Park, which I have no idea where that is. I believe it's near Sheffield. The the problem they had was that uh, the, the delays are forcing the the revenues back into next year. So they essentially they they planned on the basis that uh, their core project would be finished, and uh, now it's not going to be finished. So they're not going to book the revenues until after the year end. So that made the the numbers look increasingly horrible. So you know, so things like inventory went through the roof. So they had four million of inventory last year, and this year it's like twenty five million. So there's a lot of capital that's sitting on the balance sheet, not doing anything because it's just waiting to to finish really waiting for projects to finish and, and but i mean it does ask lots of questions about you know the operations of the company and as you say the the, the ceo basically fell on his sword and left although he uh, he said in the statement that he would he would somehow be maintaining his interest or you know maintaining his work with the group but it, yes it, it wasn't a um it, w- it really wasn't a happy result all around i would say and, and the question now is whether how to go forward uh, they have a lot of cash on the balance sheet so they've got over 325 million of cash so they can fund themselves without any trouble so they, i don't think they'll be coming back to the market anytime soon but it, it is a, you know it's it's the credibility of it all which you know it's taken a big knock and and you, you saw that in the share price move on the day it was down 25 percent uh in, in in early trading as soon as as soon as the um the results became known there's this kind of despotic situations you just don't know how how it's going to play out whether the market now believes anything that the company says or whether that you know this could be a very good speculative play at the end of the day if someone picks the shares up really really cheap i mean unfortunately for us it was a buy tip in april that alex hamer put together and um i've had to send it on a trip to zurich uh, unfortunately at these results <laughs> so, you publicly shamed him there yeah i, I, don't know, I didn't mean to shame alex but uh, yeah. uh you know we we also you know there are times when we also get it wrong we just have seen knowledge of, but, but um, yeah, yeah we, we all have these in our we all have these somewhere in our cupboard somewhere i'm sure there's one of mine floating on the internet that's just a total disaster but anyway. the, the the credibility point is an interesting one you know we have had you know, ITM, uh, British Vault, uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, suffering from similar, you know, delays in terms of where where it's uh, going to be able to get to versus expectations. You know, these are big picture companies and companies that a lot of people have, have pinned hopes on because of you know what they can plausibly or potentially hypothetically provide uh, in terms of you know energy solutions in future. Do we think that? idiosyncratic issues are they you know bound up in the supply chain and 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 energy cost issues that everyone's suffering from you know does it say something about what we should expect from nascent uk businesses and maybe how our expectations should be managed i mean the thing is they're they're also not proven technologies on a mass scale i think that's Mm -hmm. the thing that that people have to take into account when they try and value these companies and and you you are starting to wonder whether the uk isn't a favored destination for this there was a very big uh, us company backed by um Amazon that was going to build a, uh, a battery plant somewhere near Bristol and um, they spent months and months negotiating it and uh, the government was going to give them bespoke planning permission 
you know, all the NIMBYs were going to be cleared out and there wasn't going to be any problems with it. And then they pulled the, uh, they pulled the investment at the last minute. And ostensibly over weird things like GDPR, I mean, like we're, we're diverging in some of our rules with GDPR and that means that they can't collect data to send back to the state. So you, you, you kind of, there are really odd side effects of diverging from certain types of rules. And you do wonder whether that isn't in an inhibiting factor in how companies are investing at the moment and um, whether it, that's also playing into into the sort of very early technologies type um, businesses. I'll come back to that in a minute because ITM did have something to say about as well about uh, UK incentives. But I just want to bring in Alex on the on the topic of you know ITM in general. And again, yeah. as you say, it is a very Julian it is a very nascent, unproven technology. Hydrogen. Well, what's your sort of take on on the results? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I think there is there is some proof of concept. It might not have been a long time since the concept's been proven, but we are at the ground level of you know, which I think there's there's a strong argument to say this this will be a very big industry. Hence the enormous interest and you know, particularly at a retail investor level in this company and this project. And I think maybe we have to sort of separate the two stories almost that there is the ITM power, the enormously in the last couple of years, enormously successful um, you know, stock story. And then there is the there is the industrial long lead time capital intensive very difficult very technical requires lots of partnering with um uh, with multinationals story which is always going to be a lot more difficult and it's not you know things just don't go to the moon when you're dealing with uh, so many things that can go wrong really so this week has obviously been the shares are down 70 percent this year this wasn't you know this isn't the first time the shares have fallen this year but this year i think is when i suppose you'd you'd say that sentiment has really um, hit bottom since uh, you know since it's rallying over the last couple of years and they probably kitchen sinked a few elements of of this i mean graham cooley's been with the, the company since 2009 he might have looked at it and and sensibly decided that you know someone else needs to come in now to, to take it to this next next leg and you know it's been a very difficult period for for news for the company and then you've got, you know, you have the valuation story as well. I mean, Julian said that, you know, they do have an enormous amount of cash on their balance sheet, having raised a couple of times uh, in the last couple of years. Um, that should see them through, one would imagine, over the next couple of years. But cash burn is, is so high when you're dealing with capital intensive projects, uh, management and all these working capital issues they're having, that that could get eroded um, fairly quickly um, if, you know, their, their partnerships uh, aren't put in, in in working order in in short order. Um, I suppose to draw the bigger questions about how capable nascent British um, manufacturing or technology groups are at scaling up these industries. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a very sort of difficult, complicated question here. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the point about incentives as well. Maybe you know, maybe that's an, another point to touch on. Um, yeah. Well, I suppose with the as you mentioned as well, you know, working in partnership with bigger companies multinationals you know igm does have those relationships i think linda the the german us listed company is the the project at which this revenue recognition has been delayed so it's not just a uh, an issue with a small uk company you know that there's uh, you know bigger issues at play there and i think jcb are still a big backer as well so clearly there are big companies you know in, literally invested in this project too but but yeah on the question of in, incentives i had a quick listen to the conference call and it was 
Uh, interesting, uh, I think it was Graham Cooley who said regarding Aviation Park, the project which has now been cancelled near Sheffield, which, what, what uh, Cooley said, he said, quote, we're seeing more and more incentives and deals to build factories all over the world where those incentives, and I'm talking about very significant contributions, are not available in the UK. Now, obviously, there, I don't think it's just those incentives that are the reason why ITN cancelled that park. Obviously, it's got operational issues elsewhere and needs to you know, rein things in a bit. So it might seem a little bit like special pleading, but at the same time, you know, maybe the UK could be could be doing more to incentivize this kind of um, production and make sure that these parks and these projects are built on our shores. Well, I guess that's um, well. We'll wave the flag and say that's probably um, there probably needs to be more done about it. But but we don't really have. They're trying to effectively we're trying to build rebuild an industrial base that disappeared thirty years ago. So whether <laughs> it's going to easier said than done. Going to be easier said than done is is exactly right. So you need the engineers that come out of, of universities, and they're very expensive. And trying to get it, it you know, the, the money is there is one thing. I mean, actually, that point about partners is is interesting. But one of the problems with having such a large partner like Linda in a project like this is that this is just a rounding mistake for Linda if they decide that mm-hmm. they don't want uh, anything more to do with it. Uh, whereas that it's kind of terminal for for uh, ITM. Um, yeah, you just got to hope that there isn't a change of board or management at the bigger company and they decide well we're not going to go we're not going to go ahead with it yeah i was going to say it's it's, it's a very important point that you know just to return it to the shareholder question is it's important never to lose sight of this that when it comes to committing billions of pounds euros dollars to um projects it's not necessarily the junior partner in most cases it won't be the junior partner which is going to reap the long the biggest long-term rewards. Um, I mean, we, there's kind of some parallels here with Sirius Minerals as well. Another nascent technology, if you can call it that. I mean, it's 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 a substitute for traditional fertilizers we use. But there was so much hope invested in this in this company, and the, you know, the long-term cash flow generation projections going out sort of 30 years gave the illusion almost that this was all going to be captured by one company. When it comes to the crunch, you have to partner with government, you have to partner with multinationals like Linda or in, in Sirius's cases, Anglo-American, who now own the projects, with the, you know, with the capital to, to kind of swallow these, you know, these very difficult um, jobs. So, and then what happens is the, a lot of equity value disappears in smoke as, as hopes get dashed on the rocks of, um, of, of economic reality of these projects. Speaking of economic reality, we do, of course, have a new government in place with some new policies in certain areas, which does bring us on to our next segment, looking at what we've termed a couple of times this week as trussonomics. Uh, That's UK finances, the UK fiscal position in general. Uh, Hermione Taylor, our economics writer, is here to discuss this issue. Let's start by returning to energy and the big commitments the government has made how do we think that's going to affect the economy in the months ahead? We were looking at potentially a pretty long recession. Now, perhaps not. How do you see that playing out? Well, the new energy policies are going to limit the amount that customers can be charged for each unit of electricity. And this means that average household bills should now be about £2,500. And expectations were that they were going to be £5,000 before the new policies came into play. So this should firstly reduce the squeeze on real household incomes, and it means that consumption might just keep us out of recession. 
there is a bit of debate amongst economists here. So some think that we'll manage to avoid a recession entirely. Others argue that we'll have a mild contraction, but it will be much less severe than we were expecting. So I think the good news is that the Bank of England's very gloomy predictions from last month, predicting a deep five quarter recession now look to be unfounded. There are some other pieces to pick up from those policies as well on the inflation side, the you know, near apocalyptic predictions of 20% plus inflation in the year might uh, be consigned to to hypothetical history now, but maybe the glide path down is going to be more gradual as a result. So even though the recession is shallower, inflation might be with us for a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, the impact of these new policies on inflation is slightly confusing because um, it will have different impacts in the short and long term. So there are different things driving UK inflation at the moment. So far, the biggest driver has been energy prices, but there are some domestic inflationary pressures as well. And these are things like wages increasing and firms putting prices up. So the new energy policies should really help with this energy price driven section of inflation and that's why we're hopefully going to avoid these 20% rates and have something closer to 10% but by increasing real household incomes it could be likely that this demand driven segment of inflation stays higher for longer so we won't have these huge peaks but we might have elevated inflation for a longer period of time thanks to these new policies. There's also the question of what you know the new government's policies in general do to guilt markets Clearly, we have a situation where there's a lot of spending being committed just on energy alone. Is there a sense that some of the other mooted policies, you know, tax cuts, etc., have been driving some of these really big moves in gilt markets we've seen in recent weeks? I mean, I think gilt markets have got a huge amount to digest at the moment. So like you said, we've got these new energy um, policies. The government hasn't actually costed these yet, but um, economists think it's going to be about 150 billion, which is a huge sum. Um, In addition to potential tax cuts, public finances are under strain anyway because of inflation. So quite a lot of commitments are inflation linked. We've got um, index linked gilts as 25% of our borrowing. Pensions and some benefits are inflation linked too. So that's putting spending under pressure. In addition to this, we've also got um, high inflation, which means we're in an environment of rising interest rates. And then we've got the likely uh, commencement of quantitative tightening, which the Bank of England looks set to vote on next week. And that would mean that the gilt market needs to absorb an extra 80 billion um, just over the next 12 months from quantitative tightening alone. So gilt markets have got an awful lot to try and absorb at the moment. Yeah, as you say, that process of you know reversing QE could potentially be quite significant, but it is... Certainly, well, it's unusual. It's uh, unprecedented in that it's never been done before. So we'll see what happens there. The other aspect of you know the economics piece is, is the currency is sterling. Again, there have been some fairly doomy predictions there. One analyst has made a headline-grabbing suggestion that there could be an EM-style crisis in the UK, but perhaps that's a little bit overplayed, I think it's fair to say. So last week, there was an analyst saying that uh, an emerging market style crisis is possible, basically arguing that um, if the UK can't attract the foreign capital inflows that we need to fund our current account deficit, sterling would have to depreciate to bridge the gap. And they they kind of calculated that in the event of a sudden stop in foreign capital inflows, sterling would need to depreciate by 30% to bridge the gap, which would be the kind of, kind of movements that you see in emerging markets. A true crisis isn't really likely for the United Kingdom because our external liabilities are in sterling. So this means that if the pound falls, the value of our external liabilities won't go up. And we also can't run out of currency that we need to pay for imports and repayments in the same way that emerging economies can if they need dollars, they can kind of simply run out. I think that so a full-blown crisis isn't likely, but a further depreciation is possible. And we've got some economists saying that because of uncertainty over kind of public finances and our relatively poor growth and inflation outlook, that we could even go as low as 105 against the dollar. 
yeah as you as you say you know there is the dollar you know across has been particularly painful in recent weeks sterling doesn't exist in a vacuum and there is the fate of other currencies as well and what's happening there and it seems yeah. to speak with the with the federal reserve you know with those inflation numbers the suggestion they're going to keep tightening for longer has obviously impacted uh, the pound as well might be worth saying as well that it's not just a function of the strong dollar. So if you look at a weighted basket of currencies, um, we're actually quite pretty down against everything, really. Do me on, on all fronts at the moment. But speaking of uh, the central bank, the Bank of England, and what, what it might potentially do there, there's also been a lot of comments about what the government might do to the Bank of England You know, during the leadership contest. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the bank, its mandate, its oversight. Obviously, a lot of people are dissatisfied with it for obvious reasons. But when we look at what might actually happen down the track, is it fair to say the senses, the reality might prove milder than the suggestions made by these headlines? I suspect that you're right there. So um, we had Charles's team in the run up to the leadership election were quite adversarial. So we had you know statements about whether the bank's fit for purpose, even questioning independence. Since then, the new chancellor has written that he's fully committed to the independence of the Bank of England and that he believes in coordination across monetary policy and fiscal policy. So that certainly seems to have softened. Some possible changes to the Bank of England's mandate was a money, uh, money supply target, a growth target, which it looks like they're going to introduce for the Treasury to kind of complement the Bank of England's target. So it certainly looks as though things are softening. There's also kind of a political point that any kind of review could take 18 months to two years by which time inflation might be back down to target anyway so we might find that the kind of driving forces behind a review do kind of fade away for what it's worth i think that that would be a shame so i think that we are currently almost eight percent above target and um, inflation wise and that some kind of performance review into how the bank is doing would be no bad thing we'll see how that pans out in the months ahead Thank you. Let's turn, uh, because we are approaching our final segment of the show now, and looking at a few more results this week. In the healthcare, the biotech, the medical sector in the UK, uh, a few companies reporting this week. Uh, Let's start with uh, Advanced Medical Solutions, our pharma and healthcare correspondent. Jennifer Johnson is here. AMS, you know, it's another company which has, you know, had some ups and downs over recent years for obvious uh, reasons when you talk about anything to do with healthcare what do these results kind of signify where are they positioned right now so i think these results kind of show that companies which have kind of any exposure to hospitals are still kind of lagging behind um in their recovery from the pandemic not that ams kind of recorded a a poor set of results, just that it's perhaps not bouncing back as quickly as might have been hoped. And this is because much really depends on on whether there's a substantial new COVID wave as as the winter approaches. And there are still, you know, issues with elective surgery cancellations. About 60% of AMS's revenue comes from its surgical division. Uh, And the company, just to sort of clarify and give context, makes tissue healing technologies, i.e. sutures and adhesives. So it's a significant portion of its revenue is is made in hospitals uh, where elective surgeries, while numbers might be recovering, I think in a lot of the markets that the company operates in, you still have these surgery cancellations happening. The impact of inflation also slightly diluted margins in the company's surgical division, as well as R&D investment. So what the company... And this result really shows is that 
the medical sector, especially in the hospital setting, hasn't recovered in the way that pharmaceutical companies, uh, which are sort of, you know, making research, doing research and making drugs in, in a lab context have. Yeah, I, I think, as you say, you know, they weren't terrible set of results. They did have, you know, obviously coming from a lower base, but, you know, profits up, the dividend was raised. They're positive about the outlook, but but yeah, is the question as to how much of this potential, I suppose, can be realised in the near term. Yes, and that's where the, the risk of a, another winter COVID wave comes in. And that's why I think at this point it's uh, wise to take a watch and wait approach to the company. Not that, as you mentioned, its results were, were bad, just that things could, again, take a turn for the worse if we perhaps have a new variant. Because, of course, in hospitals, if you have staff contracting COVID, those are kind of locations where you have a lot of people who are clinically vulnerable to the virus. So cancellations are inevitable. Staff absences are inevitable. Much, much kind of depends on on where the virus goes. And if we have this winter uptick, which I think um, epidemiologists are somewhat divided on at the moment. But for now, I think with AMS, it's it's the message is things are moving in the right direction. But we need to wait and see what the winter brings. Let's talk about another company. Again, the company we've talked about a bit in recent weeks, uh, Abcam, which is coming to the end of its life as a UK listed company now, uh, had what may well prove to be its final set of results. We can talk about that listing uh, change in a minute, but the results themselves, how do you, how do you see them? Uh, so Abcam, I think, is quite an exciting company results largely positive management quite bullish um they expect the company's adjusted offer operated operating profit margin uh to exceed 30 percent in 2024 up from 19.2 percent last year so the message with abcam really is it's a company that's growing uh it's a maker of research use antibodies which can be used by researchers in academic settings uh, or in drug development. And most, I think it's now a majority of, of kind of research papers in this area now s- cite the use of an Abcam product. So they are a company that is growing. Uh, they are a company that has tremendous relevance in, in these um, lab settings. So the message with them really is, um, it's an exciting company that's growing. Uh, however, uh, as you mentioned before, there is the issue of uh, the AIM delisting, which is coming up and is perhaps um, slightly troubling for for UK shareholders. At this point, I, my understanding um, is that if the company goes through the process of delisting, as it's indicated that it will, there will be mechanisms in place to facilitate the conversion of, of shares. And the company does seem keen to support its its AIM shareholders. So if that's kind of the one thing that um, might give investors or potential outcome investors pause, really, it's just that it's going to the US ostensibly uh, in search of, of kind of deeper pocketed investors. When, when I asked for your opinion, I was pretty much begging the question because we did write it or you did write it as an idea just the other week. So I know we're, we're still pretty positive on the company's fortunes. But yeah, but in terms of that delisting, there, there is still the potential to access it uh, via um, uh, you know depository receipts in the US. I think the company said the other day, in terms of their plans, they're looking at mailing circulars in October, uh, have the uh, EGM in November and then delist by the end of the year. But for those who want to stick with their holdings, um, the details will be in that circular. But I think they've just described it as a 
almost a tick box opt-in kind of situation. So although there are issues with, with US holdings and monitoring of those holdings, I suppose as well, depending on what platform you're on, there, there are still there is still the ability to to take part in this growth story. Uh, I'll just bring bring Julian back in because I know you've written about um, both AMS and Appcam before, Julian. How do how do you find you know the state of those two companies at the moment? Do you, do you tend to agree with Jen? Do you have a slightly different view? Uh, yeah, I mean Jen, Jen's spot on really with her analysis in both cases. I mean, uh, so advanced medical solutions is in a, in a sense more the more problematic of the two in that it is very very focused on the UK and and it, the home market, which is the you know the home medical market, is the NHS. So there is there is no other provider. So that you know the long term prospects for them are, are based on how you know, medical spending is going to go this you know in the UK. Uh, and you kind of feel that they need they're the ones that have to come up with a plan to diversify what they're doing. You know, they're very, you know, they're tied into elective surgery. You know, that's been affected by the pandemic. It's, you know, people are a lot of a lot of people on waiting lists. It's nothing is happening as quickly as it was a couple of years ago. So I I think they're the more problematic. Uh, I mean Abcam is just 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 following the trend. I mean, you know, there there isn't enough capital that wants to put money into a, you know, a relatively high-end speculative uh, scientific venture and, and the only place to do that for that kind of company is to go to the US so it's you know there's no there's, there's no surprise in what they're doing really and in, in many ways it's it's the logical and sensible one for its investors yeah I think uh, as you say you know they are a pretty sizable you know multi-billion three billion uh, pound company now so so to an extent you know it's the the success that it's had on aim has um has pushed it elsewhere but it has been able to uh, to grow and, and flourish on, on that market so i think there are still other companies hopefully will be hoping to you know follow its its path in terms of you know growing on aim and, and flourishing and showing that they can uh you know do that we started i suppose what i'm saying is on a relatively uh, negative note about itm and some of the great prospects but there are uh, still those companies out there which which can really deliver but that does bring us to the end of today's show so thank you to everyone for taking part thank you to julian alex hermione and jen and thank you to you for listening as ever we'll be back next week with another companies and market show goodbye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.